This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 87. Hello my friends, how are you doing? We are in the midst of a strange, strange time, aren't we? With coronavirus, with the lockdown going on around the world and the just tragic stories that are coming out of it. So I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourselves emotionally as well as physically. And I want to say how fortunate I feel to be a part of this amazing community with you all. There's something so scary about being isolated, but I have to say I don't feel at risk of that because I know I have all of you and you all have all of you as well. So I'm going to try and rush up and get the Flock community up and online in the next week because I think it's going to be great to have a space where we can all connect, talk about what's going on, share favours, even if you just want someone to talk to on a Zoom call for half an hour so you've had some human contact to break you out of funk. I'm going to pop the link in the show notes if you want to get on the list to be able to join that community or if you have any ideas for how we can make it useful for everyone right now. I don't know if it's a bit strange for me to be saying this as well, but my class 15 Minute Magic is going to be going on sale again today. I have mixed feelings about selling anything right now just because it's such a strange, turbulent time for the world. But I also know there are people who've been waiting for this and saving up and looking forward to getting started with me for April. And if we're going to be stuck at home, let's be making the most of it, right? And making cool things happen. So 15 Minute Magic, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a three month long program right now where you can join me for daily steps of action and progress for your business. I send you a prompt every day for a 15-minute activity. You can get it via WhatsApp or email. And then we go to work as a community to get it done. There are things in there that are designed to scare you and take you out of your comfort zone. But there's also a lot of stuff in there that's designed to help you with all of the discomfort that comes up. We look at procrastination. We look at why we don't do things and why we get so stuck in passive action or doing nothing at all when we know what our dreams and goals look like and why we want to get there. I have the most beautiful testimonials and experiences coming out of this first run through that we're just finishing now and I'm looking forward to sharing them all with you in due course. So if it's something that sounds interesting to you, you can head to my website meandorla.co.uk forward slash magic. That's M-E-A-N-D-O-R-L-A.co.uk forward slash magic and you will find all the details. It is a limited space class just due to the way we run it so the sooner you sign up the more likely you are to get your spot so if you want to grab a spot sign up sooner rather than later to avoid missing out staying kind of on that related topic i have a previous guest back this week for another episode near el you might remember his book indistractable we talked about it not too many episodes ago And the response from you guys was so wonderful and he was so blown away by how you all embraced his work and everything he had to say that he volunteered to come back and answer some of the listener questions. So I gathered up the best of them from you guys on social media and put them to near. So that is what you're going to hear us talking about in this week's episode. And for anyone who missed their chance to ask near a question, why aren't you following me on Instagram? Why aren't you on my newsletter list? That is where I ask these things. So if you want to be involved in conversations like this going forwards, make sure that you're part of the community there. And I know Nir has office hours and he is very responsive on social media and on his emails if you would like to talk to him any further as well. Okay, let's get started. Hi Nir, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be back. I appreciate you uh, inviting me to come back. 
Well, we kind of had to because we had such an amazing response to everything you shared last time and so many questions and people wanting to take the conversation further. So you were very generous in offering to come here and answer some of those questions today. Absolutely. My pleasure. So I have them. I've been collecting them from all different all different corners of the internet over the last few weeks. So are you ready for me to just ping them your way? Does that sound all right? That sounds great. Put you on the hot spot, right? Yeah, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> so Marguerite said, she said, I loved your tips and have started blocking out time for almost everything and it's helped me so much already. I just fall off the wagon sometimes and wondered if you had any tips for how to deal with this. And we had quite a few along those lines, actually. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the where I would like to start to answer this question is to go back to the definition of what it means to become indistractable. Becoming indistractable does not mean you never get distracted. The definition of becoming indistractable means you are the type of person who strives to do what they say they're going to do. And the key word there is strive. So it's not, we're not looking for perfection. Uh, everyone will get distracted from time to time. I still get distracted from time to time. The difference between someone who is indistractable and someone who is not indistractable is that the indistractable person reflects on why they got distracted and does something about it. And so the, the quote I really love uh, that's a very apropos of this, uh, in this discussion is from Paolo Coelho, who said that a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. So if you keep making the same mistake, if you keep getting distracted from the same thing again and again and again, now you've decided to be distracted. However, if you say, okay, I got distracted, I fell off track, now let me reassess what was the, 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 the thing that distracted me. Was it, it only one of three reasons? It's either an external trigger, an internal trigger, or a planning problem. There's only three reasons for every distraction under the sun. And so if you can stop and reassess and figure out, okay, which one of these three things led me to distraction, you can do something about it so that the next time around, the same thing won't keep distracting you again and again and again. So we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for growth. And then gradually you get used to your own triggers and it becomes a little bit more natural and easy over time, I guess. That's right, because we know exactly what to do with those three uh, things that can lead us towards distraction. If it's an external trigger, we're going to hack back that external trigger so that it doesn't prompt us towards distraction. If it's an internal trigger, we're going to learn ways to cope with that discomfort in a healthier manner. By the way, if these terms aren't familiar to you, I recommend you go back and listen to that last episode we did where I define all these terms. Uh, and then the last thing, the planning problem, if we see, you know, we plan to do one thing and yet, you know, it took us longer than expected, then what we do is on the next go around, when we use our time box calendar, we make adjustments so that the next time we'll have more time and plan for it appropriately. So on a sort of related note, Jonathan was asking, how do you self-monitor and be more aware of the tasks that you're avoiding, but which need to get done? Yeah, so this is where the uh, distraction tracker is so important. So the, in the back of the book, there is this chart. You, you don't have to buy the book to do this. You can just print out on a piece of paper why you, when you got distracted and what was the source of that distraction. Was it an external trigger, something outside of you? Was it an internal trigger, some kind of emotional state you were looking to escape? Or was it a planning problem? And so only by doing that can you reflect later on. 
So that's why we keep this distraction tracker next to us, particularly in the early stages when we're just starting the process to become indistractable. We're going to get distracted a lot. It's okay. You know, the idea is, is growth, not perfection. And so it, as you track those distractions, now you can look back later on, not in that hot state when you are dying to go check email or Facebook or smoke the cigarette or eat the chocolate cake. It's not going to work right then and there. It's going to be for later on, we're going to reassess, okay, when did we get distracted and how can we do something about it for next time? And I guess what that also allows is that we're able to look at that with our kind of prefrontal cortex on, looking exactly. at it with our higher reasoning instead of being stuck in the weeds and responsive to that kind of more primitive parts of our brain. Right. And I think that the, the default that many people think is going to save them is willpower and self-control. Uh, and th I think that's where this question is coming from, is how is it that in the moment, how do I make sure that I do what I say I'm going to do in the moment? The, I have to tell you, in the moment, it's too late. Yes. It's too late. Self-control and willpower will fail you in the long term. They do not work. What works is a system, is a plan that you have in place before you uh, are confronted with those potential distractions that will save you when the time comes. And so that's why we need to reflect when we're not in that hot state, when we're not craving that chocolate cake, when we're not craving to check Instagram, but later on when we're of sound mind, then we can put a system in place to make sure we don't get distracted later on. You know, my, my, my favorite mantra from the entire book is the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. There is no distraction that you can't overcome if you plan ahead for it. And it makes so much sense. Like I find my brain needs a good 24 hours because if I plan 24 hours in advance, I'm not being influenced by what's going on around me, what mood I'm in, how my body feels, any of those things. I'm just thinking, connecting to my goals and my ambitions and making really logical plans. But as soon as it starts to get nearer to the time, right. the arguments of that kind of primitive part of the brain get so much more compelling. That's right. That's exactly right. But if you have these plans in place, okay, last time when I was doing that big project, I was writing that uh, blog post, I was, you know, uh, whatever it might be, I was working on that hard task I didn't really want to do. I remember that I was bored. Okay. When I was bored last time, I check the news to take my mind off of how difficult this task is. Okay, well, what am I going to do next time when I feel bored? Do I use the 10-minute rule? Do I um, uh, reimagine the task? Do I reimagine the trigger? You know, there's all these techniques that I want you to ma make sure you have a plan in place so that when that hot state occurs, when you are uh, extra compelled, extra emotionally uh, uh, susceptible to give into distraction, the default will no longer be giving into the distraction. It will be whatever behavior you say you're going to do instead. Okay, so we have another related question then. This is very good. It's all weaving together. Mira was asking if distraction is always a bad habit to allow or can she allow herself some time every day where she's allowed to get distracted, like time box that in. I think she's asking like mm -hmm. if, it's, if you have to go cold turkey and if having any distraction in your day means that it's still too easy for you to fall back into it. Yeah, so this is where words really matter. So distraction is always bad, okay? Distraction is always bad because by definition, a distraction is anything that pulls you away from traction, right? Traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do. The opposite of traction is distraction, anything that pulls you away from what you plan to do. So distraction is always bad. What is not always bad is diversion, Diversion is simply a refocusing on of attention, 
a refocusing of attention. So if you'd like to divert your attention away from the craziness in your life by watching a movie, by reading a book, by taking a walk, by meditating, wonderful. That's fantastic. But plan to do it. Do it with intent. Diversions can be wonderful. There's nothing wrong with diversions, which is why I'm not anti-tech. If you want to scroll Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, do it. Enjoy to your heart's content. These are wonderful technologies as long as you do it on your schedule. If it's a diversion, wonderful. You can actually plan for diversions. Distraction, on the other hand, is always bad. It's always negative. So if you want time, as, as, this, as uh, this question alludes to, if you want time to uh, daydream, to, to let your mind wander. Wonderful. But I would suggest making time in your day for that as opposed to uh, – I, I meet with a lot of people who their first reaction, and, and frankly, this is more of an excuse, is, well, <laughs> then when will I have time to daydream? When will I have time to be spontaneous? Turns out you can actually plan for that because if you don't plan for it, you really will get nothing done. <laughs> because at the expense uh, or the fear of, oh, I might not have enough time to be spontaneous, uh, then, then you actually go through your whole day uh, kind of in this bouncy round state where you're going from this thing to that thing and you never get time for that actual focus that's so necessary to do anything that you want to do uh, with intent. I would argue you know even – Allowing yourself to get into a good book or enjoy something on Netflix or enjoy scrolling on Instagram, even that I want you to do with intent, with focus, as opposed to feeling guilty. How often are, do you spend time on Instagram and you say to yourself, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be doing something more productive. No, I want you to enjoy those things without guilt because that's exactly what you want to do with your time as long as you plan for it in your day. This is why it's such a paradox that time boxing sounds so restrictive, but ends up bringing freedom. Mm. And the only way I can get my head around it is you're going to be doing something for every single hour of that day anyway. You're going to be constantly making choices about what you're doing anyway. So you might as well make sure that, that those things work in your favor instead of against you. That's very, very true. Yeah, they're very, very well said. It's, it's like a lot of things in life. You know, if you, if you want love, uh, you, you don't you don't go out and beg for it and demand it. If you want friendship, you don't make people be your friend. If you want focus, uh, it, you, you, know, you, you have to construct your life in such a way that it comes naturally to you. And sometimes you know, re, re, uh, you know, taking these steps, making a system around your life is the way to do that. So John was asking about your first book, Hooked, which you touched on at the very end of the last episode. And that was really about how people can build tech this is my understanding, you can correct me, how people can build tech that is designed to help people form habits and use it habitually for good or for bad, for whatever reason they might want to build that. So John was asking if you would still write that book now, having experienced firsthand the negatives of distraction and the idea of digital addiction in your life, and if you've experienced much much pushback from Silicon Valley because it's such a different theme this time. Well, it's it's actually uh, two sides of the same coin. So my deep understanding of how to build habit-forming products uh, allows me to also understand the Achilles heel of the type of product that can lead towards distraction. So it's because I understand how these products are built that I think I, I can also reveal the secret of how to put them in their place. Now, to be clear, Hooked was not for 
uh, the Facebooks or the the gambling companies or video game companies, uh, they've known those techniques way before Hooked was was published. What I wanted to do was to democratize those techniques so that we could use these same tactics to help people build good habits. So it's not the same products. The kind of uh, products that use what I wrote in Hooked, these are uh, healthcare companies that get people to get into a habit of taking their medication, uh, fitness companies that get people to exercise in the gym, uh, education companies that get uh, kids excited and hooked onto in-classroom learning. Uh, you know, nobody is getting addicted to enterprise software in the workplace. <laughs> That's not, you know, that doesn't happen. Uh, and so these are two different products. We can use these tactics. And this is why I think I take a very different approach from a lot of these you know, gloom and doom, chicken little type tech critics that say tech is so awful, tech is melting your brain. One, it's just not true. We can do so much with this technology for good. We can help people form good habits. And two, it's just not practical or realistic, right? I mean, uh, you know, neither of us would reach as many people as we do and I think benefit as many people's lives. You certainly do in, in your work with your online presence through these technologies. And so the idea here is not to, uh, to to vilify the technologies. It's to learn how to use them in a way that serves us as opposed to us serving them. And as you mentioned in the book, as soon as you remove the technology, something else just comes to fill its place, which we have a question about, actually. Um, Monica said that she really related to your story about your daughter that you told. I know it's in the book, and I think we talked about it on the podcast as well, about trying to be less distracted around your daughter, and she's trying to be less distracted with her son. She says, the problem is, even with my phone out of the room, I start thinking of new distractions. I feel hungry, or I want to make coffee, or I want to tidy up. I'm realizing I can't ever remove all the distractions from my life and I'm not sure how to get past it and give my son the, the attention he deserves. Yeah, this is a fantastic question because I think it reveals this truth that it's not the technology <laughs> that's giving <laughs> it to us, right? Uh, and and as a father of an 11-year-old little girl, uh, I've, I've been exactly in the same place. And when I thought originally it was the technology, you know, it's evil iPhone, it's evil Facebook that makes me check the phone, I, I had the exact same experience. It was, you know, I, let, me, let me just go get a snack or let me, uh, you know, check out the news real quick or, you know, whatever it was, even whether it was technology or not, something would always distract me. And so I think where we have to start is a little deeper than just the surface level analysis of whatever distraction we are partaking in, but to actually ask ourselves, what are we looking to escape from? And I, I don't want to project on any other parent, but I'll be totally honest with you. With, with me, when I felt the greatest desire to, uh, to, to escape, to look for a distraction, to check my phone or to, you know, to go get a cup of coffee when I was with my daughter was frankly, when I was bored, <laughs> I have to be honest with you, you know, there's only so much time you can spend with a toddler, uh, until you need a mental break. You know? <laughs> and, and so we, we did a few things. One, I, I, I asked myself, what is that internal trigger? Back to what we were saying before the, the goal is not perfection, it's growth. Uh, the, the, I asked myself, you know, what was really distracting me? Was it, was it an internal trigger? Was it an external trigger? Or was it a planning problem? Well, it wasn't really a planning problem. I had made the time to be with my daughter in my schedule. It wasn't really an external trigger because I could turn off the notifications. I could silence my phone. I could put it in another room. What was getting me was the internal trigger. And the internal trigger was boredom that after a certain amount of time, I needed some time away, right? I, I needed some, some time to do an adult thing for a little bit. So here's what we did. Number one, I changed the amount of time we spent together. Uh, from I think we used to spend you know two hours together, or I would have these ambitious plans of I'm going to be the best father in the world. I'm going to spend the entire afternoon with my daughter. 
And I got to tell you, that was too much <laughs> for me. And that's okay. I'll admit it. It was too much for me. Maybe I'm not the perfect father, but you know, four or five hours was too much. I needed a break. And so now when we spend time together, we spend 45 minutes or so together. It's on my schedule. And then daddy needs a little break. And that's totally fine, right? Because then that's the amount of time that it takes for me to reassess and say, okay, you know, I, I've I've had enough playing Uno for the thousandth time. I, I you know, <laughs> I need a little time to to go do my own thing. Give me just you know, fifteen minutes uh, to 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 do something else. And by the way. That's the exact same tactic I use in the workplace. It's nothing about my daughter. It's you know when I'm working on a blog post that's very difficult. I give myself 45 minutes, and then I need a 15-minute break because it's hard. And to, to give myself that breathing room, and it's in my schedule to take that little break as well. Another thing we did that was very, very helpful, and I think this, this is, is, is super practical advice. You know, I, I looked at the source of the internal triggers. Why was I getting bored? And the reason was because a lot of the things we were doing together – were fun for a child, but not very fun for me. Mm. And so here's what we did. We looked for, I, ta- I, I told my daughter this was happening uh, from a very young age. I think she was probably you know six or seven when, I, when we talked about this. And I told her, look, is there an opportunity for us to do things that we both like? You know, there's, 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 I can only play, uh, you know, shoots and ladders so long before I, I, I want to do something else. How about we find things that we both enjoy? And so we sat down together and we wrote down a hundred things we both like doing, uh, going to the park, uh, playing catch, uh, going to a museum, going to get ice cream. We wrote down a hundred things we both like to do. Then we cut out each of those things on a piece of paper. We, we cut out each of these strips of, of different activities that we could do on a piece of paper, and we rolled them up, and we put them inside a little glass jar that we call the fun jar. And so every time we spend time together, when we don't have anything else that, that we both enjoy doing, we, or if she proposes one thing, and I'm like, mm, I don't really know if I really want to do that. We can say, well, let's, let's see what's in the fun jar. <laughs> and we just pull it out. It's like a surprise, right? So we pull out whatever's in the fun jar. We un, unscroll that little piece of paper, and we do whatever was written down so that we always know we can do something that we both enjoy. Therefore, I've diffused those internal triggers. Now I'm not looking for escape. I actually like going to the museum. I like going to go get ice cream with her. That's fun for me as well. And so I don't feel that urge to escape. So I hope those are a few practical tips. I love that, especially the second one. Like no one ever gives you permission as a parent to to not do the things that you don't find fun. And a lot of us have this narrative in our head of like, oh, well, a good mom would sit and play Barbies for two hours every day, which is what my daughter would have if she could control me. Um, (laughs) But actually, when I sit down and play Barbies with her, I'm not being a good mom because I'm distracted and I'm bored and I'm desperately looking for an escape. So I actually end up being a worse mom by trying to force myself than I would by just accepting that Barbies isn't my thing and embracing the things that we can do together instead. Absolutely. I, I really think it's about quality over quantity. Uh, you don't get an award for spending the most time with your kids. Uh, what our kids really need is to see us fully present, fully engaged and 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 enjoying the task or enjoying the, the play together, as you said. And I guess we have to give them some time for boredom because we all have plenty of that as kids. You know what? That's a great point. That's a fantastic point. There's not. I, I found myself doing that as well, uh, especially you know as my as my daughter got older. Uh, when she was very young, she always needed tending, right? When she was a two year old, you have to constantly watch a two year old. Mm. 
Um, but as they age, there's there's nothing wrong with letting them be by themselves for a bit, right? They're not they're not going to evaporate in 15 minutes of boredom. They'll be fine, uh, especially as they as they start getting older. Uh, and, and what we want to prevent, though, I think, is you know the, the, back to the technology thread of the discussion. What we want to avoid, though, is you know, daddy, mommy needs a break. Here, watch some TV. Here, here's the iPad. Um, there's nothing wrong with with going back to the old-fashioned crayons and a piece of paper or a book or boredom. That's okay too. They need to also learn the skill of how do they learn to occupy themselves when they feel these uncomfortable internal triggers. What's interesting, I think kids actually are much more adaptable than adults. When adults are bored, we reach for something almost instantaneously uh, to take our mind off of that discomfort, sometimes in an unhealthy manner. Mm -hmm. Kids, if you give them a little bit of space, a little bit of time, they will find something. They'll find a coloring sheet. They'll find a puzzle. They'll find a, a game. Uh, and I think that's a fantastic skill for them to develop as well. I've been with my daughter like in a pub where we've not taken any toys with us. And yeah, she's gone through that 10 minutes of like fierce discomfort with her boredom. And then she makes like people out of the beer mats and rocks she yeah. finds on the ground. And she's so absorbed in those games. In fact, I would say she's more absorbed in those games that she's kind of had to create herself than anything I could ever have bought and given to her. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there are, I will say though, there are certain environments where, uh, thank God for technology, right? So, <laughs> yes. so one, one place where, uh, my daughter can, can watch as much, uh, as many videos play on the iPad as long as she wants is when we're, we're, uh, traveling. Yeah. So when this poor kid is stuck on an airline seat and she can't walk around, she can't do anything physical. She can't jump. She can't sing. She can't dance. Uh, that's a perfectly appropriate place, and you know we do bring other activities too. I'm not we're not saying she's you know watching videos for five hours at a time, but if she wants to watch a movie, uh, that's totally fine. That would be a great place because there just aren't very many options. But in the home, uh, there are lots of options, right? There's so many things that she can do. Absolutely, it's it's fascinating for me because I used to work in speech therapy in my old life. I can't remember if we talked about this on the previous episode, um, and it was a really common thing to go and see young children who had only learnt language from playing on a tablet, so they'd not had enough adult conversation and interaction to learn two way conversation. So they would learn like whole phrases, usually in an American accent that they'd learned from a tablet. Um, and the parents would be like, look, they can say whole sentences and we'd really have to go back to actually like that, that two-way communication is just as important as those like seemingly very educational games that we sometimes rely on. Oh, wow. Interesting. Huh? But I, yeah, but I'm still a huge, you know, like all has her own tablet and it's still a big part of our life because technology is a huge part of my life. And I don't think it's fair for her to see me using it all the time and then me to become someone that says she can't have it. Right, right. And again, I think it's a, it's the same rule. Uh, it's too simplistic to say technology bad, technology good. It's about who is using it, how much they are using it, what would they be doing instead of using it. All of these factors need to be taken into account. And I think there definitely is a, a right way to use these technologies that benefits our kids. I mean, you know, my daughter, the things that she learns uh, watching YouTube videos. And yeah, there's a lot of terrible stuff on YouTube. Thankfully, there's some easy settings that you can use to restrict the age of inappropriate content. But the things that she has access to, the crafts she makes, the the cakes she cooks, the 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 science she learns is amazing that we didn't have access to because you know when I grew up, we didn't have the internet. Yes, completely, completely. Next question then. So Anonymous said, how do you change your thinking from have to to I choose to? This would help me a lot. 
Yeah. So, th- so th- we know that a large part of, uh, of, of finishing a task, of, of uh, being able to uh, stay focused on a task, has to do with agency and control. It's called an internal locus of control versus an external locus of control. And so one of the things I talk about in the book is this idea of reimagining the task. Uh, that that there's actually research that shows that if we can look at the task differently, changing it into something that we have greater agency and control over, we are more likely to to stick to the task at hand. And so there's a few tricks we can use. One of them is to look for the variability in the task. Okay, so uh, if you're doing a ta- like for example, I talk about in the book, I profile a researcher by the name of Ian Bogost, uh, who describes how he used to hate cutting the grass. Hated cutting the grass, and it felt like something that you know, as as this uh, person asked, it felt like a have to as opposed to a choose to. And so, the, the, what what he did was he looked for the variability. He looked for where's the surprise. So he challenged himself by uh, trying to figure out what was the most efficient way to cut his grass. How could he do it in the least amount of time, for example? So he looked for the variability. The other thing that you can do is to focus more intensely on the task. So so what researchers advise is not to use the spoonful of sugar technique, the Mary Poppins method, where you get a reward for doing the task because that's what's called an extrinsic motivator. It, it tends to never teach us to enjoy the task at hand. Instead, what we wanna do is we wanna look for the intrinsic motivation. We wanna look at what can we find is interesting in implicitly about that task. And the way we do that is to focus more intensely on it. So in the case of of, of Ian Bogos, he 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 learned everything he could about cutting the grass, the different seeds, the climate, the water, the uh, the the fertilizer intensely. You know, it, even though it wasn't something that was inherently interesting to him, he forced himself to focus more deeply on the task to see if there's any magic. Is there anything interesting about that task? And you think to yourself, well, that's crazy. There's nothing fun about cutting the grass. But really, if you take a step back. There's actually all sorts of things that people do, I'm sure you can think of many, that seem crazy, right? That seem like, why would you want to spend your time doing that? For example, you think about your local car buff, you know, the person who just <laughs> loves tinkering with their car. You, you would have to pay me to be a mechanic. I would never do that in my spare time. And yet somehow, some a lot of people find pleasure in tinkering with cars. Uh, the, the person who loves to craft, right? The person who loves to knit, you know, that that to me seems like work. But for people who enjoy knitting and crafting, that's pleasurable. Why? Those same two reasons. They focus more intensely on the task and looking for what's interesting about it, and they add variability. They add challenge. What can they make? How quickly can they do it? You know, the different aspects of it. And it turns out that for every task, we can find those two things, the variability and the focus inside the task. What's so striking about this is I think a lot of us have been raised just by the way the world is to think that if something is boring or something is not enjoyable that we need to change the thing we need to change the Mm -hmm. external circumstance but actually it's about changing your mindset and changing your thoughts and if you can change your thoughts then you can change how you feel about anything that's a really really great point that you know one of the things i emphasize in the book is that feeling bad is not bad that I think we have this aversion that we've been told, particularly from the self-help community, that if you're not happy all the time, if you're not super satisfied with your life 100% of the time, something must be wrong with you. And that 
just is ridiculous. That nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, you know, we are designed. The the, the the evolution has created a species that that is constantly perturbed. That is our default state, and we should we should lean into that, right? We should realize that 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 need, that perpetual uh, uh, desire for escape, is what helped our species survive. But if we can turn that around, if we can harness that discomfort to help us do healthy acts of traction rather than giving into distraction, it can actually uh, help us do more of what we want to do in life. But we have to start by recognizing, okay, this is what it means to get better at something, right? If if we're working on a hard project, if it feels like something I have to do as opposed to something I choose to do, part of it is that's the process of getting better at something that and so we can reframe it in our minds uh, as as something that that you know becomes something that is leading us towards growth i find time boxing helps with that distinction between wanting and choosing as well because you can remind yourself that you chose this you wrote the time down like no one else is enforcing this on you this is something that you decided for yourself and you wanted for yourself so you kind of know then that you did choose it that's a great point. That's a great point. So right. So I'm going to do this when I said I would. And by the way, another thing that we can do, another technique that is it's very powerful, thanks for reminding me about this, is for as long as I said I would. So if you have a big onerous task, never make the job about finishing the task. Okay, this is what I call the tyranny of the to-do list. That by, by what most people do is they have a big, hairy, terrible task they need to finish, and they just write that as you know, a to-do, as one, a one item to-do, right? Finish novel, <laughs> write the novel. Yeah, right, okay. Instead, what you want to do is to give yourself greater agency over this task, to make it into something you want to do as opposed to feeling like you have to do it, only work on it for as long as you say you will. So work on that novel for just 30 minutes. That's it. And at the end of 30 minutes, stop intentionally. Don't work on it anymore. And what you will find is that by restricting yourself and telling yourself, nope, I'm only going to work on it for 30 minutes, you start having that itch, right? This is actually a technique that Ernest Hemingway used, that you always want to return back to that task with a desire to work on it more. And so sometimes by the reason the time boxing technique is so helpful is that by intentionally restricting how much time you allow for a task, you actually build that desire to keep working and keep working on that task over time. I love that. I have um, a program that I'm running at the moment called 15 Minute Magic, where people get a daily activity to spend 15 minutes on. And that's been a real barrier for people is they've they've ended up spending two hours, even though the rules are you only spend 15 minutes. And sometimes Mm. it works the other way around as well. And the example I often use is like if you have an essay question, if you're in an exam and you know you've got like half an hour to write, you know, you've got four answers you've got to write, you've got half an hour for each answer. So you plan it accordingly and you make an essay that fits in half an hour. You don't try and make something that's not going to fit within the time you've got. So if someone says to you, you've got 15 minutes to draft the first draft of your newsletter, then you've only got 15 minutes. And it's amazing how changing the way you frame it in your mind can mean that you actually get a lot more done. Absolutely. Constraints, they definitely help. Yeah, the power of constraint is is fascinating to me. We had a few questions from people who have ADHD, and I know that this isn't something that you specifically have studied or covered, but I think it's a really fascinating place where the two intersect, especially as I've been on my kind of own getting diagnosed with ADHD adventure. Mm. Um, So Anonymous said, I just do not work with a schedule. I can assign days, but I can't keep an hourly schedule as an ADD person. And she wondered if there were any alternative approaches. 
Yeah. So the first thing, if 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 she's saying that, or she or he says that they can assign days, that's a great place to start. Remember that, that we're just looking for growth, not perfection. If you can start your path to becoming indistractable by planning, maybe just one day next week. You know what? Half a day. Can you plan half a day of how you'd like to spend your time? If you can do that and go through successive cycles through those four steps of mastering the internal triggers, you know, one technique that you could use to disarm these internal triggers so that they lead you towards helpful traction rather than distraction. Can you, um, uh, can you make time for traction in some way? Can you plan your day in some small way? Maybe it's even uh, making time for planned spontaneity, right? So kind of like I do with my daughter. I'm going to spend three hours with my daughter. What am I going to do? We don't know. We're going to look at this fun jar and, and, and be spontaneous with that time. You know, is there something small you can do in your day to, to make sure that you, you can exercise this muscle of planning out time in your day? Can you hack back some of the external triggers, uh, the, the third step? And then the fourth step, can you prevent distraction with packs? Is there anything you can do in your day to use some of these, these uh, pre-commitment devices I talk about, these promises we can make to ourselves to make sure we stay on track? It's really about these small incremental steps. So if, you can, if, this, if, if the person who's asking this question says that they can assign days, that's wonderful, right? Start with that. Uh, maybe it's a weekend day and then build up to there. Maybe then, then we go for two days. Maybe then we try a work day. Maybe try half a work day until we build that skill set of, of keeping that time box schedule. Another thing that, that we can do, by the way, we can budget buffer time. So a lot of people struggle with, you know, how do I know how to budget my day? Uh, because things are so fluid in my day that, you know, the, how do I know how long traffic takes? How do I know how long a task takes? Well, this is why the whole process of becoming indistractable is an experiment, right? Week after week, you need to see yourself as a scientist, not a drill sergeant, okay? When you keep a time box calendar, it's not about beating yourself up and saying, oops, I slipped off task. You're so terrible, you're a bad person, because what that's going to do is to incite more of these internal triggers, which are going to make us feel even worse and make us more likely to seek escape through distraction. Instead, we want to approach every week that we plan or every day that we plan as a scientist. Hmm, okay, so this worked well, but this didn't work as well. How can I change my calendar for the week ahead to make it easier to follow? Okay, so uh, I had that important meeting at 9, but I got stuck in traffic, and I wasn't there until 9.15, 9.30. Well, what can I do next time? Well, maybe I'm going to leave the house a little bit earlier. Maybe my schedule is going to change from time to time so that I know that I'll be there uh, when I need to be there. So you're, you're every week when you are making your time box calendar – you're, you're changing it to make it easier to follow. And so you can, this is definitely not uh, an all or nothing process. It's about steps that we take towards becoming indistractable. Again, it's about striving to do what we say we're going to do. I think that's really key. That thing about making something that's easy to follow, because a lot of people given this task immediately go to like the ultimate dream. Like I'm going to spend, I'm right. going to get up at 6am and I'm going to work nonstop <laughs> all day. And then when it becomes really hard to stick to, you only weaken that relationship with yourself. And like I often say people with ADHD and people who struggle with procrastination, we've got a long history of being a really bad friend to ourselves. Like we never keep the dates that we set for mm -hmm. ourselves. We never keep our promises that we've made to ourselves. We wouldn't dream of doing that to anyone else in our lives. And we strive really hard to honor our promises to other people. But when it comes to ourselves, that relationship's really broken down. So like you were saying, just having one day where you do the things that you said you were going to do, even if it's it's not within certain hours, is beginning to build that trust again so that you can plan, it in, a plan in advance and trust yourself to actually follow through on it. 
Absolutely. And there's one there's one other thing that that uh, this person uh, inserted into this question that I think is important to address. Uh, the, the, you said something like, I, I just the, the question started with, I just do not work with a schedule. Yeah. And I think this is this is this is troublesome because it's an example of someone declaring what they are. And anytime we do that, we have to be very, very careful uh, because many times when we declare that this is our temperament, this is who we are, that becomes an impediment to change. Uh, we become who we are because of what we do, not the other way around. And, and so that's very, very important that if, if you're inflexible about your self-image and you say, oh, I could never do that. Well, guess what? You will never do that, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Whereas if we, if we understand that you know, our, our identity is very flexible if we allow it to be. Uh, we can change all sorts of things about ourselves if we give ourselves permission to do so. Yeah. And if it feels too far to leap to, well, I am someone who can keep to a schedule. I like to go for the middle ground of I'm someone who's learning how to keep to a schedule. Wonderful. Wonderful. Slowly kind of move yourself forwards. Um, And also I would say to anyone with ADHD listening, I did Google prior to this conversation, time boxing with ADHD, because I was curious. And there are so many people who absolutely depend on it with their ADHD and and tout it as the absolute solution. Mm -hmm. So like you say, I don't think one label ever means that something will or won't work for you. Right, right. Another question relating to ADHD came from Julia. She was talking about how she struggles to get started and how ADHD brains do. And I always say like it's it's called executive dysfunction. It's the Mm. parts of the brain that are controlled, control executive function. And it's really that execute in execute executive dysfunction that trips us up like we struggle to start and I wonder if you have any tips about you're at your desk you're there for the time you said you were going to be the task is in front of you now it's time to start have you encountered that because I think all of these things are on a scale aren't they and it's not exclusively ADHD tell me about it I mean that that is yes (laughs) I've experienced (laughs) that countless times so what what, one of the best techniques that we found to uh, to to, for for folks who have the the problem of getting started uh, first of course we need to make that time so when we're in that uh, that cold state when we can think rationally when we plan on our calendar we're gonna say okay 9 a.m. I'm gonna start on that big project Uh, so then how do we make sure when 9 a.m. runs comes around the next day how do we make sure we actually get started so this is where the fourth step that I I talked about very briefly earlier around uh, uh, making a pre-commitment or making a pact is very important. And so one of the most effective things we can do is to find a way to bind ourselves to do what we say we're going to do as a last resort. So after you've planned that time, uh, after you've removed the external triggers, how do you have something that binds you to get started? And one of the best things you can do is to find someone to hold you accountable. So if you can say, okay, I I have to be at the coffee shop at 9 a.m. to co-work with my friend because they're going to be waiting for me. They're going to call me and and be upset if I don't show up when I say I will. That's a way to have a a, a commitment that – a, a pact with someone else. And if you say to yourself, yeah, but that's so difficult. I don't know if I can, you know, my friend might be waiting for me and I don't know, like I can't find that friend. Who knows? Um, Or you work from home. uh, There's some, there's some wonderful technology to help. Uh, there's a company called Focusmate that I love so much, the product that I actually invested in the company. So the way Focusmate works is you sign up for a time when you want to do focused work. Uh, let's say you say, I'm going to start my my big project at 9 a.m. You go on to Focusmate, you select that time, and you will be matched with someone else who also wants to get work done at that time. 
Now, if you don't show up on time, you'll get a bad review, right? Like an Uber driver or something. You'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll leave you bad reviews so this person doesn't show up. And so that's enough of a reminder. It's enough of an incentive. And they send you, by the way, they send you emails to say, okay, your time is starting soon. Don't, don't forget to be ready. Your time is starting. You know, that commitment, that, that, that accountability that you have with another person that you will let down if you don't show up can work wonders. We do something similar in 15 Minute Magic. We have like a group chat room. So I know Focusmate uses like video calling. This is purely text-based. And I was very skeptical. I was like, oh, I want to try this, but I don't know if it's going to work. So there's times each week where we all turn up to the chat room. We say what we're going to work on for the hour. And then we go away and we come back at the end of the hour and say how we got on. And it is incredible how productive we all are within that hour. I do not know why it works, but it definitely works. It's amazing, right? It's it's about that accountability. It's about when we know that others are doing what we're doing. They're, de- they're, they're struggling with the same challenge. They're all here for the same reason. We're here for a higher purpose. We can do great things together. It's when we're off on our own with no accountability, nobody's watching, nobody's holding me to task. That's when we're not our best. And so many of us have been kind of trained by the, the education system and the employment system to depend on external praise or external kind of recognition for our work. So when you switch to being self-employed, which a lot of the people in my program are, that's quite hard to find because there's no one going to tell you you've done a good job. You have to be able to be satisfied with your own work. That's that's very true. I mean, think about how work what work used to look like a few generations ago. If you were reading the newspaper or Sports Illustrated or Vogue at your desk, well, it was pretty obvious you were slacking off. Your colleagues could look over at you and say, "Why, why are you reading a magazine? You're supposed to be working." Well, today, even if you do work uh, in an office, let alone if you work from home, you know, you're on your laptop. It, it looks like you're doing work, even if you're you know browsing Reddit or Pinterest or something. <laughs> Nobody can tell you're slacking off. And so that accountability is, is gone in many ways. And let alone if you work from home, well, then really nobody's watching you. Uh, so we have to implement that, that, uh, that bring some of that back, bring some of that accountability back. And the good news is, is that these tools exist online to help us do exactly this, whether it's, it's your program or a product like Focusmate. There are all sorts of tools that can help us do exactly this. Which I think just goes to show so many people are struggling and feeling really ashamed of it, but it's actually just like human neurology to struggle with these things. Absolutely. And, and, and I promise you, it is not just people with ADHD. Yes. <laughs> Everyone has this problem. <laughs> completely, completely agree. I think our final question then is from Rachel, who said, if you find yourself distracted despite all best efforts, what's the quickest and most effective way, hack, tip or trick to turn the distraction into sharp focus? Yeah. So it's really, you know, there isn't a, a magic bullet here. Uh, there isn't a pill you can swallow yeah. or an instant, uh, 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 you know, relief for this. It's really about systematically looking at these four steps, starting with the internal triggers. Uh, that nine times out of ten, if there's a stubborn distraction uh, that that you can't overcome, it's not the external thing. It's what's going on inside. Uh, it's what you what, what emotion you are escaping from. So that has to be the first step, and then it's about. When do you want to do the important things in your life? When do you want to make time for your family? When do you want to uh, have time for yourself, time for your work that needs reflective uh, time? You know, that's the second step, making time for traction, hacking back the external triggers. If the problem is something that, you know, a ping, a ding, a ring, a colleague, your kids, something is uh, on your outside environment that's prompting you towards distraction, how can you hack back? How can you set up a system in place so that those those external triggers are, are removed? And then finally, as a last last resort, those pacts, 
right? How can we use a price pact, an effort pact, an identity pact to keep us on track uh, as a last resort? And so I, I wish there was, you know, a snap my fingers kind of remedy. I will say that that there is uh, there's so much that we can do right away in small steps, right? Who can't learn the 10 minute rule? Very, very easy technique. Who can't plan uh, an hour or two to do a particular task? Who, who can't turn off those notifications on their phone? Who can't implement one of these pacts we talk about, talked about? Anyone can. So again, you know, you don't have to do everything all at once. You can start with one task that you want to focus on, apply these four techniques to that task, and then grow to become more indistractable uh, throughout your day and throughout your life. Love it. And I will say as someone who has access to the closest thing available to a magic pill, which is ADHD medication, if you are still distracted, it will just intensify your your focus on your distraction. Like mm-hmm. all of this stuff still has to be in place because it doesn't help you with the choosing to do what you want to do. It only helps you with the paying attention once you've got there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well said. So I feel like actually I would be remiss if I didn't ask my own little question while I've got you here. Um, And it relates to 15 Minute Magic, which I've mentioned to you. So it's a three month program. And what we found was kind of around the end of month two, engagement was starting to drop off because this is something where people get a WhatsApp message every day. They get an email with the same material every day and it's a spontaneous different prompt every day. But I think people were getting used to hearing the ping on their phone at the same time and it was getting easier to get out of the system and ignore it. Have you got any suggestions or any things I could try to help people stay engaged? Because this is something they want to be doing, but Mm. are struggling to stay engaged with. So this is great because this is actually leads back to my first book around how to build habit forming products. Yes, so you're I need to read experience. that. Yeah, no, this is fantastic <laughs> because it's a great example of how we can actually use the technology to improve people's lives. It's not the technology that's evil. It's about how we use it. And so, yeah, building this, this habit of engaging this course would be fantastic for people's lives. But And yet, even though they want to do the, the, the task for some reason – some of them aren't. Um, and so in this case, what we have to do is to 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 analyze uh, this through what's called the hooked model, which is the basis of my first book. Um, so there's a few things I, I would look for. The, let's start with what habit you want to create. Is it is it opening the is, is, is it uh, responding to this notification or what, what's the action you want them to take? So it's taking 15 minutes fraction of whatever's in it. So it might say draft a newsletter or it might say like spend 15 minutes doing this type of engagement on Instagram. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And and do you have you gotten any feedback on whether people think that the task is easy to do? So it varies because it's every day, but we get lots of feedback. And yeah, the ones that people feel more resistance to are the ones that feel scary. So maybe pitching themselves to journalists or mm. for speaking engagements or things like that. Yeah, yeah. So without without kind of going into the the, the all four steps of the the model I I uh, wrote about in Hooked, uh, one thing that that sticks out to me is that um, there may be an ability gap. So there's this there's this framework that's uh, was was done by B J Fogg, who's a, a researcher at Stanford, who says that behavior is a function of motivation, ability, and a trigger at the same time. And so even if someone is motivated, and even if you send them a trigger, you send them a notification to do a particular task, if that task is too difficult to do, they won't do it. 
And so if you think about, um, you know, you're, you, uh, you're in the shower and you hear the phone ring, you're not going to pick up the phone because it's too difficult to get out of the shower, uh, dry yourself off, get to the phone in time. You're not going to get – it's too hard, so you're just not going to do it. So it seems to me like – and this is you know, in a very, very quick – I'm trying to make it very <laughs> short. But I, 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 my, my gut tells me that the task for some people is too difficult. Either because they don't have time for it, so maybe something you try is to say, look, it, I'm going to send you this notification every day, but I need you to reserve those 15 minutes in your schedule. Mm-hmm. Okay, This is like a mini time boxing exercise, right? So every day I'm going to send you this at 1 o'clock, whatever it is, you know, at 2, 1230. I want you to hold that time for me. Do not plan anything else so that they have – again, that now it's easier to do the task because I'm not in the middle of a meeting. I'm not having uh, – you know, I'm not feeding my kids. I, I'm devoted this time to this task, which makes it easier to accomplish. And then maybe ask yourself, is there anything you can do to make that task easier? easier to do. So if people say, oh, I'm not really sure how to reach out to a journalist. Uh, well, how can we make that easier? So like I gave them a template so that yeah, all they have perfect. to do is add their own things. Right. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and, and what else are they saying is difficult about that task? Overcoming their own self-doubt, I think, is the, that's a thorny one for that reason. That they might feel rejected? Yes. Okay. Oh, so that's maybe that's something you explore, right? How can we, uh, you know, wh- what is keeping them from doing this task? What makes it difficult? What increases friction and how can that be removed? And, you know, we could probably brainstorm 10 different ways to make it easier. Uh, use a pseudonym, right? <laughs> uh, you, 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 uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe reach out through a different platform that makes them feel like it's more conversational. You know, reach out through Twitter versus, I don't know. There's probably a bunch of different things that we could do to make that task easier to accomplish. You know, push one button and it sends this form-filled uh, email template. I'm not sure. There's, there's probably a bunch of things we could think of. I love that. Yeah. So it's about reducing the barriers to getting it done as much as possible every time. Exactly. Exactly. But I think probably the big one, if I had to guess, is is the time held on their calendar. Do you ask them by a chance to do that now? I do, well, I do. And I just put out a video message talking about why it's really important and that it's not just about because I think people think it's just about like not forgetting, but it's actually mm. about that thing we've spoken about already committing ahead of time so that you've already made the decision. Right, right. And is the time customizable? Like, or does everyone get the, the message the same time every day? So right now everyone gets it at the same time. Um, that's okay. something I would love to change in future, but it's a limitation yeah. right now. Yeah, I know it's, it requires a bit of, of programming. Uh, but maybe that, you know, if somebody says, hey, every time you send the email, I'm at a business lunch. I can't do it right then. Uh, and then I forget about it later on. That that's a, that's a big clue. So maybe if it's, you know, you pick the time, book that time, I will send you the message and I want you to screenshot on your calendar that you've held the time for me <laughs> that I bet you that will increase the, uh, the, the adherence to this task. Well, thank you so much. I will experiment and we'll see where we get to. My pleasure. That sounds great. Let me know how it goes. I will do. Nick, could you share for everyone all of your social handles and where people can find you again, just in case they didn't catch it last time? Sure thing. So uh, if you go to nearandfar.com, near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R-and-far.com, that's my blog where I I continually uh, share interesting stuff I'm working on and and, uh, articles and blog posts. And if you go to indistractable.com, that's the website for the book. It's spelled I-N, the word distract. A-B-L-E, indistractable.com. There's all kinds of bonus content there. There's templates and tools that you can get. There's also a video course there as well uh, and all that. If you uh, get the book, if you keep your order number, whether you buy it at your local bookseller or online, doesn't matter, keep your order number, enter it at indistractable.com and you can get 
uh, all those bonuses for free. And you also have an awesome mailing list that I receive. Yeah, really valuable newsletters you send out. So I recommend that to people too. Thank you so much. Show notes for this episode are at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 87. And I will include links to all of Nir's work and the things he's referenced today, as well as details for my 15 minute magic program for anyone who would love to check that out. I'm sending you all the biggest virus free hug. I hope you're all able to keep well, keep calm and have a wonderful week. I'll see you online and see you here again next time.